now is the second part of the message. The first part positions us to know the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. And it's what we soak in. And we, we say, oh, Holy Spirit, give me the power to receive that love and those scriptures. But sometimes we need to know, well, what does that really look like? So this is a different message. A few things you probably know, but I will lay a little groundwork. All the books of the Bible, except for four, had been finished. But there were four missing. They hadn't been written yet. And all four were from one person. It was from John. John was around 92 or 93, hadn't written a letter, hadn't written a book yet. His life was unusual. He was the unseen disciple, the unheralded disciple in his day. You see, all the other disciples were on missionary trips and planning churches and doing evangelistic things and just wrecking the world. But at the foot of the cross, John's life changed. And he says it in the gospel. Jesus says, behold, your mother. And John writes, and I took her home with me that day. And so the very day that Christ was crucified, John's entire future changed. His daily life changed because now he was asked to step into a relationship of assignment and take care of Jesus' mother. Now, if you will, he's landlocked in a house. He can't go anywhere without her. And it doesn't, it's not for years, but for decades and decades. And really, only those who had eyes to see came to John for mentoring and discipleship. Because to most, he didn't look that great. He was sitting in a house taking care of his mom. During those years, he watched all his friends, all the disciples, they were martyred. He was never really arrested after he left Jerusalem. And so he's unseen. He never calls himself an apostle. He just says, you know, the one that leaned back on the chest and close enough to hear the heartbeat of Jesus. That, that's what I was known for. I just hung close to hear his heartbeat in the physical and in the spirit. Historians say he was 92 or 93 when a suddenly happened. Suddenly he was arrested. 
by Domitian, who was the Roman emperor. And so now the man who had not traveled hardly ever in his life is being carried to Rome. He's before the emperor, and the emperor wants to make a big show of him. And the way they did it during Domitian's time is they would have this massive vat of oil that was boiling. And the emperor would sit and all of his court would watch and they would put the Christian in the boiling oil and then they had like a metal claw that would scrape the bottom and bring up the skeleton and they would cheer. So they throw John in the boiling oil and the claw goes down and brings him up and uh, John's looking pretty good. Not burnt. Personally, this is probably my quirky personality. I think holy laughter would just, just, I mean, you'd have to laugh. You know what I mean? You'd have to laugh like, here I am. And so Domitian gets really angry. He puts John in the boiling oil a second time, brings him up. Still here. I'm good. Puts him the third time in. Brings him up. This time, historians say Domitian is trembling and shaking says, get him out of my sight, and just goes berserk and sends him as far away as he could to the Isle of Patmos. He was still kind of an unseen disciple. But he had an unseen partner. If you remember in the book of Acts when they chose seven men to serve the widows, and Stephen was one, there's a little name there, Prochorus, who was there. Historians say he volunteered to be arrested with John. And he was there with John during the boiling oil, and he volunteered to go to Patmos so John would not have to be alone to take care now of his brother in the 90s. You know the story. He goes to Patmos. And the man who has never written anything leaves no record of having any vision, any supernatural experience with Jesus. He's just kind of been silent, just loving heart to heart with Jesus. And so now John is the one that's drawn up in the book of Revelation. And I'm not going to read all of it, but if you read it, Three times in chapter one, he's like, I know they aren't going to believe I'm still alive. I'm in my mid-90s by now. I know they're not going to believe I'm still alive. He goes, John, and he goes, I, John. And then the third time in verse nine, he says, I, John, it's really me. I survived the oil. I'm still alive and I'm still well. I, John, I'm alive. I'm Patmos. But listen to the beauty of the way this unseen disciple describes himself. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation. The word brother meant from the same womb. I, John, equal honor between us. Equal honor. 
He didn't say, I'm the surviving disciple of Jesus. He said, I, John, your brother, equal honor. There's something about when you are graced with being unseen, it's easier to get equal honor, I think, for everybody. Because you sit and you're amazed at all the people around you. You're not so busy going here and there. You pause and you look at who's sitting next to you in church and who's sitting here and who you're on the phone with. And you go, oh, my gosh, they're beautiful. They're beautiful people. You realize it's we're all equal honor. This is gorgeous. He said, brother, equal honor. And I am your partner in tribulation. I'm your partner in tribulation, in the kingdom, and in patience. Tribulation was a word of being pressed beyond measure in every realm, and you could do nothing to help yourself. He said, but I'm also your partner in the kingdom. We know the Lord. We know the resurrected Christ. We know the power of the kingdom. But I'm your partner in the English is patience. It's not a good word. Because that word was when a weight is abiding, not for a moment, a heavy weight that should kill you is abiding on you, and you are just steady. And you do not move underneath the weight. Rick Renner, who is anointed in Greek, says it intimates that you must have a supernatural power working in you to be that kind of patient. When you've been in the vice grip for a long time and you're just, I'm the kingdom. Not superficial. Your gut level, you're honest, you're real, but you know what you believe. John says, I hear a voice, and I turn, and he's overwhelmed, and he said, oh, my gosh, fall like dead. He had not seen Jesus for over 60 years. 60 years. And can you imagine? He looks up, and the first thing that grabs him is, He's still in human form. He didn't go back to whatever his form was before he picked up flesh. He has feet. He has hands. He's still embracing humanity. What? He's fully human and fully divine. And he's seeing it now in realms he never saw before. He says he has on a white robe down to his feet. The term he used was the term of the high priest's garment. The favorite part that undoes me, our English says that his feet were like bronze or brass. That's not the Greek. Because our English gives the impression that they're formed and they're set. And brass and bronze represented judgment. 
the Greek is they're melting. They're still hot. That the, it's just not formed yet. But John does something that's nowhere else. He puts the word in Greek, lambano, with it, which means frankincense. He's saying his, his feet are not set in judgment. I'm getting the aroma of frankincense. That's intercession. And then he lifts up his head, and John says, oh, my gosh. To use our term, he's prayer walking all the churches on the planet. He's prayer walking over all the churches, not judging. No final judgments over any church. No final judgment still isn't. Be careful. Be very careful, children. Be careful of little prophecies that say God's going to destroy the organized church. That's contrary to Scripture. Be careful if you say, well, I don't like the organized church. You're a part of it. You're a part of it. Even if you think you're in the most progressive church, it's organized. It's organized, just so you know. So guard your little baby hearts. You don't want to be in opposition to the heart of the Christ. And yes, he, he pours out that these five churches need some work. And it's the same things that we need. We're not going to go into the seven churches tonight. But John's looking and he's going, well, he sees the truth of the churches, but he hasn't given up hope. He's just walking among the lampstands, praying, praying, praying for, praying for, praying. And something grabs John. And then, you see, John's in a place no man's ever been in world history. Do you understand that? There was never anyone and never has been anyone who walked face to face with Jesus and yet also saw the fullness of his glory and saw him on earth fully human, fully divine, and saw him in heaven fully human and divine. And you will see in a moment, John is transformed because he's seeing a new truth. And whenever you receive a new truth about him, you are transformed, not by your efforts. When you see a new truth of the beauty of him and the majesty of him and the wonder of him, he's going, he's just praying for us. And then he looks. And he sees that all of heaven is singing to Jesus. And they're singing, worthy is the lambkin. Not lamb, lambkin in Greek, which is when a lamb just comes out of mama's womb, Totally helpless. Worthy is the lambkin. Worthy is the lambkin. Worthy is the lambkin. High and lifted up. And he sees all heaven collapse in worship. And go, worthy are you, for you have purchased 
us and made us a kingdom and priest. John's going, how do I process this? And then I'm just picking key points out of Revelation because of time. And then he hears the voices and he turns. This is Susan's personality, not John's. And he knows that these are the voices of the martyrs. And you see, my personality, I would want to run, go grab them. I go, oh, Matthew, you're there. Peter. Oh, my friends I've done the journey with, they're in the altar. I just want to hold them. I just want to thank them. I just want to thank them. I just want to thank them. I remember being in China, and it was a particular time we were with some underground church members. And this one couple was in their late 80s that we were with. And they began sharing. They had been in prison many, many years. But the man just began weeping. And he said, but I failed him. I will never forget it. He said, I failed him. All my friends died as martyred, but I just spent 15 years in prison. I wanted to be a martyr for my Lord. Oh, wrecked me, marked me. John's caught up in heaven, and, and he sees, <laughs> he sees now the Son of God in the future not still praying, but he sees him on a white horse, and he, he sees he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and then he, he sees the marriage feast of the Lamb. It's going to be real. He was in Patmos for 18 months. When Domitian died, everyone was set free. He was... They estimate he was 95 to 96 years old when he got out of Patmos. By the way, 95, 96, and still hadn't written his first book because it hadn't been time. Still hadn't written his first book because it wasn't the right time. When it's God's time, this is a hidden love note to someone in this room. When it's God's time, it flows easily. John goes back to Patmos. I mean, I'm sorry, he goes back to Ephesus. And we don't know how long he just sat. And he just soaked. Prochorus was with him. They wrote the book of Revelation and it was put out, but that's why he had to keep saying, no, it's me, it's me, because everybody believed he died on Patmos. And then he waits. And something changes in him because he's seen a different part of the heart of the Lord. His vision of the truth of the heart of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has exploded.
He looks at the Gospels. He looks at all of Paul's writings, Peter's writings. And you can imagine he and the Holy Spirit begin groaning. Like, oh, no. There's a whole different realm about him that must be written. And so when he writes the Gospel of John, he doesn't start with the genealogy, our Zechariah, our Joseph and Mary. He says, in the beginning, he's been changed, you see. Now he sees the position of Jesus of Nazareth. And he steps back and goes, oh, he was there at the beginning. I never knew that. And he begins pouring forth revelation that no one in the world had written yet. But he's writing out of the heartbeat of the Lord. He's felt his heartbeat. He's seen him in a way he's never seen him before. He's incarnating it and believing it. And now John is transformed. He goes, no, it's up here. It's beyond us. And then you can see John thinking, there's, there's so much we never told them. And he's a man that lives inside the heartbeat. You can hear John going, Holy Spirit, now I understand. But there's so much we've never told them about Jesus. And so he shares things that no one else ever wrote. He shares about the wedding at Cana. It was probably a little embarrassing for the disciples. Like we're just getting to know this guy. We think he's the Messiah, but we're brand new in this relationship. He just did something because his mother told him to do it. We're not writing about that. You know, he's growing like we are. Maybe it'll take him a while to work through his family script, you know. But John, it's the first thing he had to include in there after John the Baptist because he knew it was the last thing. And he had learned in heaven, you know, the end from the beginning. And so to him, Jesus didn't do the water to wine because of Mary, even though she's precious and darling. It was, John knew this was his prophetic seed. To take earthen vessels and sanctify them, fill them with water like the Holy Spirit so that they would pour out new wine. John saw that was the prophetic seed for the marriage feast of the Lamb. And to the other disciples, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman just was not culturally appropriate. No one wrote about it. But John saw the nations and the races, and he says, that was, that was the seed in the earth that he came for all nations. And if you walk through John, it's different. He's the only one that told us Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. The only one. But now, it wasn't just Jesus rose another person from the dead. John's transformed, and he goes, 
Oh my goodness, that's when Jesus first said he was the resurrection. They must know that story about him. And John, more than anyone else, continually has Jesus saying, I don't know what to do. I just say what the Father wants me to say. I just do what the Father wants me to do. I do nothing on my own. John has seen him in his full majestic glory. And God, oh my goodness, look at the humility my master walked in. We didn't realize he was so divine. We saw him more human. Look at the humility of him. And it's John who says, I, I, I must tell them that Jesus, knowing who he was, knowing fully where he came from and where he was going, took off his robe and knelt and washed feet. They, they must know that this was God in our midst, loving us. It's like John has seen, and he's transformed, and what's important has transformed him. And the man who never had a need to write a book or write a letter to a church now can't contain himself. And he pours out the only writing we have where Jesus taught on the Holy Spirit. He said, oh, now I understand. We, the early church, are teaching the Holy Spirit from Pentecost. I must share who Jesus said he was. And it was John who said, this is what Jesus prayed. You're his joy. He just wants to be one with you. It was John. The only man who saw him in the human flesh doing divine things and seeing him in heaven. John's the only one that says, you know, we were in the upper room and the doors were locked. And he walked through the door. But he was in human form and we could touch him. He could eat. He had human form and substance. And he the door? John is now incarnating to a fuller degree. Jesus fully human, fully divine. And so in First John, he's still amazed. He goes, you know, we really touched him. That's the way he starts, First John. We touched him. We saw him. I know he was human, but, and it's John who pours out, live for love. It's all about love. It's John who says, no, God is love and perfect love. And greater is he that's in you than anyone that's in the world. And surprising everyone John does something no one else in the New Testament does. He says in 2 John, the elder to the elect lady and her children. 
He was writing to a woman pastor. And the room fell silent. <laughs> John says, I know I'm the elder. And I'm writing to the elect woman and her children. And the word is her spiritual children. And he's saying, you and your children are walking in love. Well done. You bless. And at the end of his life, here is John, the unseen disciple for decades, really. He's seen the full landscape. He's been to heaven. He's seen things. He's integrating it. And in Third John, he just funnels it down. And in essence saying, the greatest love gift that I can give you is this. Above all things, I pray you will prosper. And that's the understanding of all things kingdom. You will prosper. You will have divine health in this life. As your soul prospers. He had learned. The key isn't what do I know, but what have I incarnated of his heart into the way I think and feel and decide so that my very soul prospers in the heart of the Lord. And it flows into my physical body, and it flows into every area of my life. He is an unseen one who began just leaning on the chest of Jesus. And then he was really hidden for decades, mid-90s, never wrote a book, never really preached, Never did evangelism, not called an apostle. But the Lord said, now is your time. Brings him up. And Patmos shows him everything. And now they say around 96 or so, 97, he writes his first book. And Revelation and the Gospel of John and First and Second and Third John Give us revelation nowhere else in the word. And John always kept his eye on the cross, always kept his eye on the humanity and the divinity of the Christ. And as we said last month, when John was finishing the book of Revelations, after he had seen all these things and all these unfolding eternal truths about the Messiah, he had one line to say, may the grace, the grace, the superior one serving you, receive grace of the Lord the majestic, full Lord. And Jesus, the one who can meet you in your humanity 
and put his deity on your humanity. Christ be upon you. We put everything we are and in our lives and the lives of the loved ones under the shadow of the Lord and rest. We meet Jesus in an intimacy. And when we make that transition where we're healed enough, secure enough, that now it's, it's not just me and, and help my needs and what's my call, and that's not being disparaging. We all have to go through those seasons. Like a toddler can't do what a college student can do. We all go through seasons. Then Jesus stretches out his hand to us and says, I have one call that I have not fulfilled yet. I have not fulfilled my call as the Messiah. Will you help me fulfill my call? And we are undone at the honor. We are undone. That the Christ would say, may I need you. Will, will you help me? fulfill my call I I have this calendar and it's not so much about nations I'm a I'm about individuals I have this calendar of people I I want touched they're on my calendar that they must be touched they must hear about the gospel before I the Messiah can return will you help me please will you help me fulfill my call as the Messiah knowing the Messiah will stretch to the full heights of the heaven like the Lord. So we come tonight. We come. Steve and Bob, would you come help me, please? As we come to share communion tonight, You can come and share how you'd like as they're passing it. This may sound strange to you, but I want you to know. Um, go ahead, but make sure they hold the cup. Jesus said recently, Susan, I want you to buy a wooden communion set so that when they're taking it and they see the wood, they will be reminded they're taking the flesh off of me on the cross. that this was real, and it was for them. And, and you, when you take the cup, he says, I want you to, though this is the blood that was dripping down my feet, I want you to feel the weight. So Bob and Steve, I'm going to ask you not to serve them. Let them pass it so they can feel the weight of the wood and let them pass it from one to another, and if you can facilitate that, hold it and we'll take it together. Lately, I have um, been overwhelmed um, by a quote, and I think it describes John's life. It's from Lilius Trotter. She was a missionary for 40 years in Northern Africa. You can never tell 
to what untold glories any little humble path may lead if you just follow long enough. Many of you in this room, you are beauties like John. You're like John. You have carried Jesus in your heart. Most of you I've known for ages. You've carried Jesus in your heart. You're, you're not seen by a lot of people. And most don't know the power and the beauty of who you are and what you carry. But the beloved has his eye on you. And he says to you what he says to John, just, just keep following the humble path. I have untold glories for you. There is a great freedom in never needing to be seen and being so lost in Jesus as John was that all he knew was the heartbeat of Jesus. It's all he knew as a disciple. And in those decades of taking care of Mary, fixing her meals, washing her clothes, being bound to the house while all his friends were out ministering, he just got deeper and deeper into the heart of Jesus. And then in his mid to late 90s, he finally started writing. But now he wrote with a fullness that no one else in Scripture ever wrote with. For he had known the fullness of humanity and divinity of Jesus on the earth and in heaven, and he had come back to see Jesus on the earth with a new light. So this is his flesh. This is the flesh that was torn from his body for us. And when his flesh was torn, as scripture says, it was as if the veil had been torn between us and the Father. As you eat this bread, this flesh tonight, I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your veil will be torn and you will see rounds of the truth of your God like never before, the body of Christ. When John was drawn up into heaven, as you read, you can tell he's captured that they're constantly talking about the slain lamb and the blood and the power of the blood and the martyrs and the blood on the Messiah's garment on the white horse because he knew we are nothing. This is our life flow. And I pray when you take the blood tonight, the light and the life of Christ explodes in you in a realm you have never known. 
And like John, you will be transformed from this night forward, and you will never see him the same. And from Numbers and Zechariah and John, you will never see yourself the same. You will embody the truth of his heart for you, the blood of Christ. Let us honor it.